we just began looking at the first chapter of, or the first verse of, of Romans 8, and we'll continue this this morning. Let's read the text before us, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Last week, we began by looking at that first, that first verse where it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the depth of, 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 and, and, and power of those words is overwhelming when you think of, of who we are and who God is. In the book of Isaiah, we, we get this picture of, of God in his holiness. In Isaiah 6, I'll just paraphrase it for you, but Isaiah is there and he, he sees the Lord sitting on a throne. It tells us that he was high and he was lifted up and the, the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, just majesty there and there's seraphim, these angelic beings that were there, and one had, each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. An awesome picture when you picture God. I mean, God creates these beings. He gives them six wings so that they're equipped to come before him in his holiness. I mean, two to, to cover their face before him. Two to cover their feet just in humility. Two to fly. And the seraphim are just saying, holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew, that you don't have exclamation marks. You, you want to emphasize something. You repeat something over and over again. And here we see it three times. Holy, holy, holy. He's holy. Whole earth is full of his glory. Say it says that the posts of the door were shaken and and house filled with smoke and Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. It tells us that one of the seraphim flew to him and he had a a hot coal there in his hand and and he had taken it with with tongs from the altar and and it tells us that he he touches the, the mouth of Isaiah with it, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. It's this incredible picture. There of God filling the temple with his glory, 
Isaiah, who's known as a righteous man, is just coming apart at the seams. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I live in the midst of, of sinners. Just seeing God in his, in his holiness, God doesn't say, yeah, it's okay, don't worry about it. He takes the angel with tongs, with a hot coal, and sticks it on the lips of Isaiah. And then says, your iniquity is taken away, your sin's purged. It's important for us to start at a point of, of God's holiness because for us to understand the greatness of a phrase like this, this verse, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You, you need to understand that we were in a place of being under condemnation in our sin. God told his people things like, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Tells his people these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and on the, shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Have my law be before you all the time. This is the law of God. This is what I say. This is what I command you. I can summarize it with love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But God gives his people the law and he says, obey this. I'm holy. Obey this. And, and we find in, in Romans 3 that God says, as he looks at man, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good or there's none who understands, there's none who seeks after God, they've all turned aside, they've together become unprofitable, there's none who does good, no, not one, not, not any of us. And so we have a holy God, and we have us who, who have no righteousness of our own whatsoever. None of us were seeking after God, none of us were good, not even one of us, and then through the book of Romans, we just find the gospel. We find the gospel coming up over and over and over again. The gospel coming forward that makes it so clear that there is a way of salvation. And it comes from a righteousness that's not your own. It's the very righteousness of Christ. It's not by our own good deeds. It's not by us keeping the law ourselves. It's by what Christ, our Savior, and our Lord has done for us. He fulfilled all of the law, and he fulfilled all righteousness. And whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And we come now to, to Romans 8, and we hear these words as, as we've been looking at salvation that comes by faith alone, and salvation that comes by faith alone, and it being repeated over and over again, and proof text after proof text, that we're not saved by our own works, but we're saved by faith alone. And then there's this... This pinnacle, when you come to Romans 8, and as I said last week, it's known by many as, as the most incredible, most wonderful chapter in all the Bible, where it just begins with the words, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There should be such incredible joy to find out that you who were waiting to, to hear What's my position? We talked last week about just, just some of the most brutal prisons in the world. Putting ourselves 
in the place of someone who's waiting to be condemned to hear from the judge whether we were condemned or not to go to one of those prisons. And, and to think of, of a place where there's beatings and there's tortures that happen daily and, and, and there's hardened and heinous prisoners that, that would run these prisons and, and that there's fighting for scraps of food that you would never even think of feeding your pigs and, and where that prison in Iran where, where the girl said every day seemed like 3,000 years and, and to, to think of what, what we deserved being so, so much worse than that, a realization that we fully deserved eternal damnation, black as darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal fire, eternal separation from the glory of, and, and, and joy of the Lord, a place where it would make the most wretched of, of all earthly prisons seems like seem like just a a five star resort in comparison to to eternity in hell, and then to to see that we deserved it. Our, our premeditated, constant, unashamedly blasphemous sin against a holy God. And then hear the words, there is therefore now no condemnation. You who deserved it, we who deserved it, don't get condemnation because we are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And the thing that's sweet about this is is, it's not that we will hear those words. It's not that someday in eternity we will hear the words, There is therefore now no condemnation. It is that you hear the words now. What is said is there there is therefore now no condemnation. That truth, that blessed assurance, that promise from a sovereign God is, is that for you now, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is there is no condemnation. In verse 2, we come to, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's read that again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He gets personal as he writes this. There's therefore now no condemnation. And the reason, as we look at this thing, is he goes through and gives a personal testimony. The, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that rule that was there, has made me free from the law of sin and death. You will find in this passage the gospel being brought up over and over and over again. Free. We are free from the law of sin and death. We're not condemned anymore. It's not just that we simply hear the words, there is therefore now no condemnation. But we hear the words, Christ has made me free. He's made me free from the law of sin and death. The righteous and holy judge of the universe says, there is therefore now no condemnation. But now the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to say that God then goes on and unlocks the prison doors and takes the shackles off our hands and feet. And he says, you're free from the prison bars and the shackles of sin and death. They no longer hold you. You're free. 
So we walk out under the clear blue sky of our Redeemer, and we're free. We're forever free. There's no chance of you ever being condemned for any sin that you've ever committed or that you might ever commit in the future. You're free. A couple days ago, I, I got a, a call from a, a friend of mine. Um, this, this particular friend of mine has spent the last six years in, in state prison. And, and he just got out. He just got out. Um, and I was listening to his, him just share his, his heart as far as what it feels like at this particular point to be out. He said, quote, I am in such a place of joy now. It's like the old covenant promise of restoration in life coming through after having experienced the toll of what we ask for by not repenting. He said, I was in a place, I just, I was not repenting. And God disciplined me. But at this point, it's like, he said, it's like the old covenant promises of restoration of life coming after that. The joy of, of not being in state prison anymore. Joy of, of driving a, a car and going to the bank. And he had never heard of an iPhone before, but he has one now. Never heard of Facebook before. He's on there now. Being in a place of, of just talking, saying, like, I'm just, I'm just walking down the street now. The joy of, of being free. And then you, you, you take us. Not only is there, therefore, now no condemnation, but you're free. Not only has the judge said, you're not condemned, but the, the prison doors have been open. The shackles have been taken off. You're no longer in bondage to sin and to death. In Galatians 5.1, it says, Stand there fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You're free. Don't, don't place yourself in bondage anymore because you're free. We're told that it was something that, that made us free. It was the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Not the law in reference to the Mosaic law, but this law that is there, this rule that is there, that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of life has made it so that you are free in Christ Jesus. The shackles of death have been removed. I, I think of 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where it says, oh, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he took the, the sting that was there in death and just, and just removed it from us. 
took it away. And he didn't simply just remove it. He, he placed all the sting of death that you and I could experience as far as eternal separation from, from God or condemnation. And he placed all of it upon Christ on the cross. The sting of death that we deserved was all placed upon Christ on the cross so that there is therefore now no condemnation and you're free and the, the shackles that held you of sin and death have been totally and completely removed. It's the Holy Spirit who has done that for us as he's regenerated us. And Jesus says in, in, in John six sixty three, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit takes us who were dead, who were condemned, and makes us alive, and he makes us free. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. We can't think of anything coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills. The law kills. The law shows us that we're sinners. The law shows us that we can't do anything, that we're not sufficient of ourselves to do anything. But the Spirit gives life. In Galatians 6, 8, it says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. The flesh reaps corruption. You plant to the flesh and do everything you can in your own flesh to make it so that you earn favor with God. You do all the good works that you could possibly do and you, you plant all that stuff and God says, all of that reaps corruption. But the Spirit, you sow to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in you and changes you and, and makes you clean and makes you free and makes it so that you're a new creation in Christ and he tells us that of the Spirit, you reap everlasting life. It was the Holy Spirit giving us life through salvation by the work of Jesus Christ and him crucified. It, it was through the merits of Christ's atoning work on the cross that there is therefore now no condemnation because the Holy Spirit gave life to us who were dead in our sins and trespasses and, and now we are beyond the possibility of condemnation. My, my friend, he was excited because he, he, he doesn't have to go once a month to his probation officer anymore. The, the just got out a couple weeks ago, and the officer said, I don't think you're a threat. You'll check in every once in a while, but you don't need to check in regularly. We don't need to check in at all. I mean, God has taken you who were dead in your sins and trespasses, and he has made you alive, and he has removed the condemnation so that there's no possibility of you being called guilty ever again because what saved you wasn't your own good works. It was Christ and his good works, and him crucified, so that there's no chance of ever being held in bondage again. You're free. In verse 3 of Romans 8, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Oh, look gospel do you see the gospel all through this i mean this you, you you look at these passages and you just see substitutionary atonement it's just there it is for you well, what you could not do for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh there it wasn't that there was a problem with the law 
there was a problem with you. There was a problem with me. We, we were weak in the flesh. We were sinners. And the law had no ability to save us. It couldn't. We were sinners from before we were ever born. It was in sin that we were conceived. That corruption was there. You, you know it to be the case. The sinful nature that we have, you know it. You see it in the cutest of little babies. You see, although they are incredibly cute, they are also incredibly selfish. It's just... Mine. Mine. I, I look and, and I, I see within my kids, I mean, just, I don't, I don't know where they learn some of these things. And some of it, it's not even learned. It's just a part of them. L- little, I pick on Natalie too much, but l- little Natalie, I mean, I just, I told her something. She just went, mm. I'm like, where did you learn? I mean, I, Tasha does it sometimes, but where where do you learn to cross your arms like that? Tasha's doing it right now. I'm not going to (laughs) look. But they do it. They look and they, and they, they will not let you rest till you give them what they need. And I look and I, I think, how, how can they scream that long and that loud? It's incredible. One of our children screamed like that from, from Mammoth to Orange County. <laughs> never stopping for more than a minute. And I, I just think, how do you do that? I, I would be, I mean... You wouldn't be able to hear anything from my voice if I did something like that. And yet, they were able. And you look and you, you see the, the sin that's, that's there. And even if we, we looked and tried to obey every part of the law, you have already sinned. You have already failed in the keeping of the law. The law is unable to save you. One sin would keep you out of heaven. And you look at what God says in his word, and he simply says, there is, there's therefore now no condemnation. But prior to that, the law was weak because of the flesh. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. For what you were unable to do, God did. Those words are awesome to us this morning, aren't they? What the law was unable to do, what you were unable to do because of the weakness of the flesh, because of the sin that was in you, God did. And he says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. God did it. I know the gospel's familiar to most everybody here. But God help 
us to have it ignite incredible joy in our hearts this morning. What you were unable to do, what the law was unable to do, God did. And how did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. By sending his own son. That The power of that, the, the amazement of that, you were unable to do it. You were unable to do it. You, you couldn't keep the law. The law was not able to save you. And because the law was able, able to save you, God did it. And he did it by sending his son. The creator of the universe. The one who knows all things. The one who has been in perfect unity with the Father and with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that is there. The the one who has always existed, God said, I'm giving you my son. And he's going to come to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice that he is very clear here to use that word in the likeness of sinful flesh. Because he was not sinful. Christ was tempted in all things, yet without sin. He's the only person who has ever lived here on earth that was born without that sinful nature apart from Adam when Adam was first created. But Christ was born without the sin that Adam passed down. And the reason why is because sin, as you know, with the doctrine of federal headship, always comes through the male. Adam passed the sin down to all of his descendants. Sins passed through the male. Everybody here had a father at some point. Everybody here has that sinful nature passed down from the father, from his genes, from his relationship to Adam, except for Christ, born of a virgin, virgin birth, born without that sinful nature, not only born without that sinful nature, but tempted in all things, yet without sin, remained sinless. I find no fault with this man, even there as he was going to the cross. Without any sin whatsoever. So God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Because of sin. Because of sin. Because of the problem of sin in the world. Because we had no ability to save ourselves at all. There was no way that we could ever save ourselves. God did it by sending his son on account of sin to, as we look at here, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it. How did he do that? You think of, of Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's there and he tells the disciples, sit here for a while, and I'll go and while I go pray over, over there, and he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and, and it tells that Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, and then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and, and Christ fell on his face, and he prayed, oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And you look at that and you say, what's going on here? He's sorrowful. He's deeply distressed. It tells us that 
He's, his soul is exceedingly sorrowful, sorrowful, even to the point of death, even to the point of dying. And he falls on his face and says, Oh, my father, one who I've been in fellowship with, the one who I've been with for all eternity past, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And the reason why is because that cup that he was saying, if it's possible to let this cup pass from me, that cup was the wrath of God that you and I deserved that Jesus drank as he hung on the cross. He took it. He took it all for us. I brought up at the beginning of, of the sermon Isaiah and, and God there in, in, in the temple and his the train of his robe filling the temple and the seraphim that were are there with six wings and 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 them being there and, and saying, Holy, 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 it's the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Because I, I think that's the most incredible picture in the Old Testament of God's holiness. And yet it, it doesn't even come close to showing the holiness of God the way that in the New Testament you see the cross. A display of God's holiness. God's perfection, his holiness. His holiness that is so perfect and without blemish whatsoever and, and a holiness that cannot be a part of sin that when we were unable because of the law, because of our flesh, to make it so that we could ever earn salvation. God did it by sending his son. And you look at the cross, and you see what God says in his word as far as the wages of sin is death. And then you picture Christ upon the cross, and you see the wrath of God being placed upon him. And I, I look at, I, I think of the movie The Passion, and, and, and you think of the torture, the beatings, the, the stakes, the crown of thorns, the cat of nine tails, the punches that come to the face, the tearing out of the beard, all that took place with the crucifixion. And, and you see torture taking place, but they can't in Hollywood anywhere come even close to showing the wrath of God coming upon Christ, the Son of God. They can't do it. They can show a, a Ro Roman crucifixion. They can show torture, but they can't show what took place there. The cup that he drank wasn't simply torture. The cup that he drank was the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God coming upon Christ, the Son of God, our substitutionary atonement, the, our lamb that was slain so that through the shedding of his blood, we could have remission of sins. It's him. It's him taking all of it upon himself and, and the sky turning black, the earth shaking, hearing Christ say, it's finished. Because all of our sin was placed upon him and the wrath that we deserve, that was the cup that he was about ready to drink. That's why he... He falls on his face and is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death, saying, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Because the holiness of God demands the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And it cannot be blood that is not innocent. It cannot be blood that is not righteous. It cannot be us doing it all ourselves because the law is unable to do that for us. But what the law was weak in and unable to do, God did. It's the gospel. I mean, the whole of the gospel is found in these passages. 
He condemned sin. God condemned sin on the cross, not the sinner. The cross condemns sin. The law could never do that. The law condemns the sinner, but the cross condemns sin, and it kills it so that it, it places us in a position that there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ because the law condemns, or the cross condemns the sin. The sin is removed. The, the wrath of God is placed upon Christ to where there is therefore now no condemnation. In Isaiah 53, the Old Testament, you look at it and it, it gives us this picture of Christ on the cross. Surely he's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All of the wrath that we deserved was placed upon him so that it's finished. And we look here at our, at our text, and it, it makes it so clear for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did. He did it by sending his own son in the likeness of of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He did it. He did this that he might save sinners. Through Christ's perfect life and substitutionary death, he satisfied all the demands of justice. He was able to take upon himself the full cup of the wrath of God that you and I were to drink. And as a result, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As a result, we're free. The power of sin has been destroyed. The shackles of death and sin have been removed. As a result, we worship. Don't we? We worship. As a result of reading passages, like there is therefore now no condemnation as, as a result of reading passages like, like what, what the law could not do and that it was weak through flesh, God did as a result of this, as a result of seeing that, that he condemned sin in the flesh and the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled. As a result of that, we worship, we love him, we praise him, we give thanks, we desire to please him and to do his will out of joyful gratitude and exaltation. We praise him. It changes everything for us because it, it looks at, we, we look at this and it's not a matter of did we do enough to do it. It's you couldn't have and God did. And so we worship. You, you may be here this morning and, and your faith is not in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross for your salvation. And you, you're here and you, you, you see us standing or raising our hands or singing from our hearts to him or, or spending time in God's word like this or talking like I am right now. And you think, why did they do this? We love him. We love him. We, we were wretched sinners and God saved us. He just saved us. And it wasn't something that was easy. It was by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, flesh and being the one who condemned sin in the flesh by placing it upon Christ on the cross, his son. And 
as a result, we're free. We're not condemned anymore. At the end of verse 4, it says, The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's not a in us if we don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It is in us who are believers. This is a definition. It is a description of a believer. A believer does not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. There's a change that's taken place in the believer. If, if you're in a place, if you continue just to walk in the flesh and there is no conviction from the Holy Spirit, no passion to live righteously and to obey his word and to please God or to, to sing praises to him or you don't love him, you don't live for him, you, you're just walking in accordance with the flesh. That's not the believer. The believer does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's within him. He changes you. He convicts you of sin. Leads you to repentance. Gives you holy longings to please him. And so the one who has faith in Christ does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is not perfectionism. It doesn't mean that you live a perfect life. It means that you love God, you love him as your savior, as your Lord, you hate sin, you desire to repent, you see the Lord chastening you when you go astray. So we look at this and it's enough to bring God's people to a place of worship when you hear the gospel over and over and over again. In these four verses. No condemnation. It's made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh. The righteous requirement of a law has been fulfilled. The gospel over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters, do you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? So thankful for God, for what he has done for us. Let's respond by giving thanks in prayer and then in, in song. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, so much for our salvation. It's not based upon us it's not based upon whether our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. It's not based upon whether we did enough. We could not have done enough. The law was unable to make us holy. The law was unable to bring us to salvation. And what the law was unable to do, God, you did by giving us your son. Lord Jesus, we praise you for just drinking that cup, the cup that would be the wrath that we deserve, the, the condemnation in which we deserved. You drank that, that cup and you condemned sin so that there would be no condemnation for us, the sinner. You've made us 
free. We're more free than the most heinous criminal that's been let loose. We're free forever and ever and ever and ever. Because it's not based upon our ability to stay free. It's based upon Christ Jesus, our Lord, who made us free and finished the work. It comes by faith alone in you. We love the gospel here. May that be reflected in the praises of your people this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name.